Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Do you know the defining feature of this market? It's that we don't have enough shares to go around. That's how I feel about this incredibly strong year and the uber bullish reaction to tax reform. Dow gaining another 56 points today, S&P climbing 0.20%, NASDAQ advancing 0.06%. There's just not enough supply, not enough stock to meet the demand from buyers who had to radically switch their orientation to deal with a much more positive backdrop. And that's been very good for the averages and your portfolio. Now, whenever anyone talks about a stock shortage, you should automatically greet them with a little skepticism because there are always bankers ready to pump out stock to meet demand. Sell, 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 sell. But it's not a wholesale shortage of stock. It's a shortage of stocks that fit the program, meaning stocks belonging to companies that are high domestic taxpayers and thus just got a big boost to their earnings. For example, consider the recent performance of Amazon, which has not been doing well as a stock, versus Walmart, which has been on fire. The two largest retailers out there. Get this, it's really interesting. Walmart has an effective tax rate of 32%. That's soon to be cut to 21%. It's been consistently buying back stock for years. Amazon, on the other hand, actually has a higher effective tax rate. Ooh, interesting, right? 43%. But you know what? They don't pay that much, very much in taxes because they don't have much in the way of earnings. They're always spending to win. Meanwhile, Amazon's been an aggressive issuer of its own stock over the years. Not a lot of shortage there. A decade ago, Walmart had 4.1 billion shares outstanding. But thanks to endless buybacks, they brought that number down to just under 3 billion shares as of the last tally. Amazon had 424 million shares 10 years ago, but today they have 482 million. Now, when portfolio managers want to reach for a big company, it's a major beneficiary of the tax reform. You know what? They're thinking Walmart, not Amazon. In fact, you can easily imagine them dumping the fast-growing e-commerce play for Walmart here, especially since the latter is very well run and is accelerating its own online initiatives. The contrast is pretty stark. Walmart used to have tons of turnover in the store level, and turnover is pretty costly because every time someone leaves, you end up having to spend a lot of money to train the replacement. But thanks to its recent pay raises, turnovers dropped dramatically saving them a fortune. Hey, apparently paying people a living wage is good for business. Who knew? Walmart's got great fundamentals, and it very much fits this program that I've been talking about and mentioned last night. But because of the buybacks, its stock is in even shorter supply than it would look like given it is a $290 billion company. It just doesn't take as much buying power as you think to move up this behemoth. Meanwhile, Amazon's very, very much does not fit the program, and there are a lot more shares to go around right now, floating all over the place. 
Of course, people who dump the stock of Amazon, it may be right short term, but I think you're going to get a bad case of seller's remorse when the company talks about how great its sales were over the holidays. I'd be a buyer of Amazon in any weakness, but the, uh, the fact is, sooner or later, there will come a day where the new tax regime is priced into this market and investors will stop penalizing fantastic companies like Amazon that don't benefit from the tax program that much. But given that the passage of the bill was a surprise and the analysts are just now putting pen to paper to figure out its impact, my guess is that the out of Amazon into Walmart trade, I think it could continue for longer than people think. Let me give you another example of the shortage phenomena. We knew the industrials have been buying back stock relentlessly. Why? Because for ages, there hasn't been enough worldwide demand for the products. So instead of investing and growing the business, they close factories and they use what little money they have to buy back stock endlessly in order to artificially grow earnings per share by shrinking the number of shares, the denominator. But now you got a triple bull whammy in their favor. First, the U.S. economy and the rest of the world, they're getting stronger. Second, they'll benefit from the accounting change that makes it uh, cheaper and easier for clients to buy heavy machinery and goods. Put those, uh, those together with number three, the buybacks, and you end up with an honest-to-goodness stock shortage in the industrials. Caterpillar, anyone? When you layer in the fact that hundreds of billions of dollars are likely to flood into this market through the end of the year and the next year via index fund buying, you just don't have enough shares of the tax reform winners to go around. And look, from a business perspective... There are very few losers under this bill. For example, both big and little tech companies will benefit from tax reform, hence why I don't want you to dump them. But, but they won't benefit as much as the industrials or even the domestic retailers. And that's all the market cares about right now. Who are the relative winners at this moment? Plus, tech companies tend to be aggressive about issuing new stock and they pay people in stock. So they're both less attractive and they don't have any kind of supply shortage to speak of. How much does this matter? Bizarrely, the home builders are one of the few industries that actually could arguably do worse under the new tax reform business. Why? Because it curtails both the mortgage interest deduction and the state and local tax deduction. Yet Toll Brothers, which has a great deal at stake in high-tax states like California, New Jersey, and New York, all states where residents who buy pricey homes like those toll makes could get wobbed without, its, uh, you know, without that old deduction. Yet what's happened to the stock? It hasn't even dropped. I think that's because it's been buying back shares at a furious pace. Four years ago, Toll had 184 million shares. Now it's 158 million. On top of that, at times, Toll's tax bill has been as high as 37%. So even if tax reform might cause fewer people to buy homes, uh, they'll make that up and then some with that tax rate. Now, I cannot stress this enough. We keep hearing that the changes to the tax code are already baked into the market. Who are these people who say that? I think it's almost impossible, given the swiftness of the law's passage and the surprise it took so many people by. Plus, our market's performance is roughly in line with other industrial countries so far this year. But they didn't just pass huge corporate tax cuts. It's not fully baked in. It could be much more, much more ahead. Even if you take the most cynical attitude here and assume this whole thing is a cartoonish giveaway to big business, even if you presume that companies just use this money to boost their dividends, buy back stock, that will be very good for the stock market. More buybacks will only intensify the stock shortage I've just talked about, while also boosting the earnings per share for each company. How much does this matter? Okay. The best, most rigorous argument against this market has been its high valuation. It's expensive. 
although not as expensive as it seems, given the paltry competition from bonds. But with tax reform, it is entirely possible that the best bear case out there just got neutered. How the heck can you say the market's too high on next year's earnings estimates when those estimates have suddenly become way too low? That's just plain oxymoronic. Take away that prop. And this really strong part of the bear thesis does seem to, let's just say, crumble. So given all these positives, I bet analysts after analysts will start coming up with new names to recommend as soon as the beginning of next year or maybe even next week. I think that these calls will have impact each time because portfolio managers are desperate to find stocks that work here. And the companies are still being cagey about how much they'll benefit from this tax cut. Plus, let's remember that some of these companies, like the banks, aren't able to raise numbers yet because they probably haven't even figured out their tax rates or their net interest margins or the sudden increase in demand from big clients who are desperate for financial advice. As always, there are things that could go wrong. I mean, especially some exogenous situation. Um, You know, a black swan. A black swan like my executive producer, Regina Gilgan, is wearing at this very moment. That's what you have to fear. Well, maybe that not that black swan, maybe not. But you get the point. The bottom line is that we're in a different, different, better and cheaper kind of market here. I'm the only one that seems to want to say it, but I don't care. I think it brings buyers in from the sidelines. Yep, we're looking at a wholesale reallocation of capital. That means you can keep buying this market on any dip, perhaps for quite some time to come. Let's go to Jim in Florida. Jim. Hey, Kramer, get big Florida booyah. Go Knowles booyah. I was calling about Blue Apron, APRN, with Brad Dickerson at the helm and strong fundamentals. Was today's dip a buying opportunity, or should I sell and move to something else? I don't like the company. Uh, tax loss selling will, will uh, finally abate next week. Maybe get a higher price. Dump it then. Let's go to Albert in Florida. Stick with Florida. Albert. Booyah, Jim. Yes. What's your opinion on ALRM and its position in the connected home space? I like it. I like it. But you know what? Connected home is not that big a business uh, yet. But I do like the company. And remember, there are off-the-shelf products that are pretty good here. But I like the idea of the – I like I, – look, I was doing some work on all these little cameras. Uh, and I know they're doing well as a business, and the stock's come down a lot. Let's go to Linda in Ohio. Linda. Hey, Jim. I had a question on Sage Therapeutics with their new trial, the drug for depression, putting patients in remission. They were down 4% today. Is it a buy for the long term? You know, I've got to tell you, I am concerned. When I did actually read the literature about it, they're pretty early on to be making such a hoopla-like statement about it. Go read the literature. It's not nearly as defined as they would make it as as the market would make it sound. I mean, this is not a Long Island Bitcoin, Bitcoin blockchain tea, but you know what I mean. Josh in New York, Josh. Jim, Josh calling from New Rochelle. I want to know your thoughts on the Newmark night. I did a lot of work on Newmark. I think it's an inexpensive uh, stock. Yeah, your biggest problem with Newmark is that it does have one big large shareholder that might start selling again. But Newmark is a business that's very well run. I find the stock pretty compelling. And no one's talking about it. All right, people, we're in a different market. We're in a better and cheaper market. We're in a market full of winners. Man, tonight, earlier this week, the technical single gold could be due for an uptick. 
if the commodity is ready to run, should you be looking for a play in the space? I'm sitting down with the CEO of Agnico Eagle Mines to see what's ahead. Then, with the tax bill finally official, I'm gathering around the fire to take all your questions. And what's next for paychecks now that the tax bill's approved? I've got the CEO, so stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This week, we checked in with Carly Garner. She's our resident commodities expert, and she argued that gold could be due for an uptick. So if the precious metal's really ready to run, what do you do with the gold mining stock? Consider the case of Agnico Eagle Mines. That's AEM for you home gamers. It's a high-quality operator with eight mines across Canada, Finland, and Mexico, as well as exploration development activities in the U.S. and Sweden. Now, in 2016, Agnico Eagle stock just caught fire, rallying nearly 55%, even though not much happened with the underlying commodity. This year, that dynamic reversed, with the stock up 6%, trailing both the 10% gain in gold and the broader averages. The reason? Well, some of that may be because people genuinely believe that Bitcoin is replacing gold as a repository of the world's wealth, although I don't buy it. And that story gets harder to believe as the cryptocurrency pulls back from the highs. Plus, a lot of things are going right at Agnico Eagle. The last time the company reported in late October, the company beat the earnings estimates and raised the production forecast, which is exactly what we want to see. So could this gold stock be ready to get its groove back for 2018? Let's check in with Sean Boyd. He's the vice chairman and CEO of Agnico Eagle Mines. Get a better sense of how the gold market's doing and where it's headed. Mr. Boyd, welcome back to Mad Money. Nice to be here, Jim. Okay, uh, Sean, could you give us uh, a kind of a lay of the land about why your company is kind of like a real company and a lot of the other gold companies make projections and they just miss them hard and fast? Well, a lot of it has to do with our 60-year history, and we've realized over that period that it's a long-term business. It's a tough business. You've got to invest in the future. And during that period from 2012, 2015, when most of our competitors were retrenching, selling assets, uh, cutting exploration budgets, cutting people, we were actually investing in juniors, buying assets, adding people, expanding drills. And what that's done is set us up for further growth where we see our production increasing about 25% between now and 2020. A lot of the gold companies have had to reach and go to areas where the governments have, uh, let's say, been uh, not fair toward the companies and taking more and more each time. What, what, has there been any country that has ever tried to confiscate your gold or put on a, an arrangement that you think is, uh, let's say, um, uh, prohibitive to your profits? No, and when I was hired uh, 32 years ago, the founder of the company, uh, his motto was, Agnico Eagle does not go where they don't wear overcoats in the winter. So that was really a way of saying avoid political risk. Mining is tough enough. Um, you just need to be able to focus on adding value, thinking long term through drilling and mine building and try to take the rest of the noise out of the equation. You have a mine in Mexico, I actually know where it is, where it's $300 an ounce finding. I mean, what is that, both labor costs and just uh, fabulous veins? I mean, that is, 
I mean, if you can just do nothing but mine from that, you'll make a fortune every day. Well, the Mexican business has uh, been one of our best cash flow generators. The mines tend to be quick to build, quick payback, high investment uh, returns on it, and lower cost. And that's an area where we hope to expand our business over the next several years. Uh, you just routinely, it seems, raise what your forecast for gold production. Why are you so uh, certain? And yet again, many of the other gold companies are reluctant to even give you a forecast. Well, I think it's just to do with the history and experience of the company. We've got a good feel for those uh, places in the world where we choose to operate in. Uh, we, in. In Quebec, we have four mines within 50 kilometers of each other. Our Nunavut platform is connected to that business. So we've got a good handle on what we have. And we take a measured approach to grow the business. We take a measured approach to M&A. It's all about managing risk and taking advantage of geological upside. You know, earlier this week, we had a, a very good technician who told us seasonally this is the right time for gold and gold may be ready for a big move. Do you uh, give a forecast for gold for 2018? Well, we've been doing a lot of uh, uh, meetings with the generalist investor crowd, and there's no shortage of those meetings. Our sense is, is that investors are starting to do their homework, revisiting the high quality gold equities. So there is a sense that gold's about to turn here. Uh, we wouldn't be surprised to see gold between 1400 and 1500 uh, within the next 18 months or so. So we think we're turning here. All right. Well, let me ask you about the elephant in the room. I was with someone last night who told me gold will be replaced by Bitcoin because Bitcoin is more sure. And the repository of wealth may have been gold at one point. Four thousand years it worked. It's no longer working. Time to buy Bitcoin. And I sat there. The guy who had a, had a college degree. I mean, it wasn't like some Yahoo. I mean, what do you say to those people? Yeah, I can't see that. What we know is gold's a highly developed market, very liquid market, a very efficient store of value and portfolio or diversifier. That's why you need to own it. One of the things about Bitcoin and the cryptocurrencies is, is there really an unlimited supply? We're gold miners. We mine deposits. I think over time, the question will be, are these cryptocurrencies and the developers of these cryptocurrencies just mining the public? Wow. You know what? I'm going to use that from now on because you're a miner, a real miner. And what? Gold's been pretty good for 4,000 years, right? Gold's been uh, that excellent store of value and money. It's proven itself. It's hard to believe it's going away just because of technology. People can invest in cryptocurrencies, but now's the time to own gold. If stock market's setting record levels, I'd rather own gold than Bitcoin. I am totally with you. No, I'm totally with you. And I think everyone should own some gold. That's just the way it's always been for me, and it's been the way for you. And thank you so much for coming on. That's Sean Boyd, the CEO, Vice Chairman of the Board at Nico Eagle Mines. I am. This week, we checked in with Carly Garner. She's our resident commodities expert, and she argued that gold could be due for an uptick. So if the precious metal's really ready to run, what do you do with a gold mining stock? Consider the case of Agnico Eagle Mines. That's AEM for you home gamers. It's a high-quality operator with eight mines across Canada, Finland, and Mexico, as well as exploration and development activities in the U.S. and Sweden. Now, in 2016, Agnico Eagle stock just caught fire, rallying nearly 55%, even though not much happened with the underlying commodity. This year, that dynamic reversed, with the stock up 6%, trailing both the 10% gain in gold and the broader averages. The reason? 
Well, some of that may be because people genuinely believe that Bitcoin is replacing gold as a repository of the world's wealth, although I don't buy it. And that story gets harder to believe as the cryptocurrency pulls back from the highs. Plus, a lot of things are going right at Ignico Eagle. The last time the company reported in late October, the company beat the earnings estimates and raised the production forecast, which is exactly what we want to see. So could this gold stock be ready to get its groove back for 2018? Let's check in with Sean Boyd. He's the vice chairman and CEO of Ignico Eagle Mines. He had a better sense of how the gold market is doing and where it's headed. Mr. Boyd, welcome back to Mad Money. Nice to be here, Jim. Okay, uh, Sean, could you give us uh, a kind of a lay of the land about why your company is kind of like a real company and a lot of the other gold companies make projections and they just miss them hard and fast? Well, a lot of it has to do with our 60-year history, and we've realized over that period that it's a long-term business. It's a tough business. You've got to invest in the future. And during that period from 2012, 2015, when most of our competitors were retrenching, selling assets, uh, cutting exploration budgets, cutting people, we were actually investing in juniors, buying assets, adding people, expanding drills. And what that's done is set us up for further growth where we see our production increasing about 25% between now and 2020. A lot of the gold companies have had to reach and go to areas where the governments have, uh, let's say, been uh, not fair toward the companies and taking more and more each time. What, what, has there been any country that has ever tried to confiscate your gold or put on a, an arrangement that you think is, uh, let's say, um, uh, prohibitive to your profits? No, and when I was hired uh, 32 years ago, the founder of the company, uh, his motto was, Ignico Eagle does not go where they don't wear overcoats in the winter. So that was really a way of saying avoid political risk. Mining is tough enough. Um, you just need to be able to focus on adding value, thinking long term through drilling and mine building and try to take the rest of the noise out of the equation. You have a mine in Mexico. I actually know where it is, where it's $300 an ounce finding. I mean, what is that, both labor costs and just uh, fabulous veins? I mean, that is, I mean, if you can just do nothing but mine from that, you'll make a fortune every day. Well, the Mexican business has been one of our best cash flow generators. The mines tend to be quick to build, quick payback, high investment uh, returns on it, and lower cost. And that's an area where we hope to expand our business over the next several years. Uh, You just routinely, it seems, raise what your forecast for gold production. Why are you so uh, certain? And yet again, many of the other gold companies are reluctant to even give you a forecast. Well, I think it's just to do with the history and experience of the company. We've got a good feel for those uh, places in the world where we choose to operate in. Uh, In in Quebec, we have four mines within 50 kilometers of each other. Our Nunavut platform is connected to that business. So we've got a good handle on what we have. And we take a measured approach to grow the business. We take a measured approach to M&A. It's all about managing risk and taking advantage of geological upside. Now, earlier this week, we had a a very good technician who told us seasonally this is the right time for gold and gold may be ready for a big move. Do you uh, give a forecast for gold for 2018? Well, we've been doing a lot of uh, uh, meetings with the generalist investor crowd, and there's no shortage of those meetings. Our sense is, is that investors are starting to do their homework, revisiting the high quality gold equities. So there is a sense that gold's about to turn here. 
Uh, we wouldn't be surprised to see gold between 1400 and 1500 uh, within the next 18 months or so. So we think we're turning here. All right, well, let me ask you about the elephant in the room. I was with someone last night who told me gold will be replaced by Bitcoin because Bitcoin is more sure and the repository of wealth may have been gold at one point. 4,000 years it worked. It's no longer working. Time to buy Bitcoin. And I sat there. The guy had a, had a college degree. I mean, it wasn't like some Yahoo. I mean, what do you say to those people? Yeah, I can't see that. What we know is gold is a highly developed market, very liquid market a very efficient store of value and portfolio or diversifier. That's why you need to own it. One of the things about Bitcoin and the cryptocurrencies is, is there really an unlimited supply? We're gold miners. We mine deposits. I think over time, the question will be, are these cryptocurrencies and the developers of these cryptocurrencies just mining the public? Wow. You know what? I'm going to use that from now on because you're a miner, a real miner. And what, gold's been pretty good for 4,000 years, right? Gold's been uh, that excellent store of value and money. It's proven itself. It's hard to believe it's going away just because of technology. People can invest in cryptocurrencies, but now's the time to own gold. If stock market's setting record levels, I'd rather own gold than Bitcoin. I am totally with US you. Yeah. No, I'm totally with you. And I think everyone should own some gold. That's just the way it's always been for me, and it's been the way for you. And thank you so much for coming on. That's Sean Boyd, the CEO, Vice Chairman of the Board at Agnico Eagle Mines. I am with him and Carly Garner. I think gold's about to have a move. Man, money's back after the break. And now, a fireside chat with Jim Cramer. Hey, countdown's on. We're in the home stretch of 2017, which I will just say has been anything but boring. As we close out the year and welcome a new one, many are wondering, well, what are the, where's it headed? What's the market going to do? What can we expect in 2018? Well, without further ado, I want to get to the Yule Log. I'm taking your questions to help prepare you for next year. Why don't we start with Ashley in Florida? Ashley. Hi, Jim. Thanks so much for taking my call today, and happy holidays to you. Same. Today, I'm... I'm hoping to get some advice from you. I have three boys, ages 7, 13, and 14. And for Christmas, we're opening up uh, custodial investment accounts for each of them. In order to teach them about investing in the stock market, I'm hoping to get some tips from you on a couple of stocks for them to choose from. We're only going to give them a few hundred dollars, so I'm hoping to get three or four stock picks in the 20 or under range, $20 or under range. I was hoping to see what advice you would have for me. Okay, first of all, uh, let's be very clear. Uh, whenever we start these things, we got to go mutual funds, S&P, mutual funds that you like. That's what I did for my kids. Uh, I'm not allowed to own individual stocks. But then if, you can, uh, if you're allowed to have individual stocks in your account, what I would do is ask them. Ask them what they like, okay? Because, you know, it's really a drag to have someone own a stock they don't really know what the company does. They can't say it in three sentences. So what happens is they end up buying something that goes down, they blow it out. So ask your kids what they like and then tell them to Google it, all right? Read a, read a conference call. If they don't want to read a conference call, then maybe you just stick with mutual funds. Carrie in Ohio, Carrie. Hey, Jim, how you doing today? Couldn't be better, thank you. Just want to say it's an honor and a pleasure to be on your show. I've watched it for years. Um, ah, great. So, You're great. Thank uh, my you. Main, We've been on yeah, for years. So my, 
my main question for you is uh, if you look at the uh, various transaction speeds of the different cryptos out there, I can't help but notice Litecoin being you know, much faster compared to Bitcoin. Is that a main factor in the future of a cryptocurrency or is it really just user adoption? Well, I think it's uh, I actually think it's going to be depth of market. I think it's going to be uh, how much friction. Like when I see, for instance, I see the futures in these two different exchanges and they're different prices. Well, that's crazy. I mean, you can't have futures be that off. So what you're looking for is a, is a market that is more transparent and has one price to it. And I mean, is light going to be? I mean, I think the light market is probably going to be less steep than Bitcoin because of the first mover advantage. Let's go to Dave in Illinois, please. Dave. Dr. Kramer, so good to join you in a relaxing chat in front of the warm fire today. I couldn't agree more there, Dave. What's happening? Dave is uh, 50th time, long time. What's that? You, you're, oh, like, you're, you're a pleasure to talk to. We've heard you before, and we just we think your questions are about as good as we're ever going to get. So hit me. Jim, you're too kind. So here it is. Jim, 2017 has been a great year for U.S. equities. The S&P will finish up 18% and is priced around 18 to 19 times forward earnings. Recent corporate and individual tax cuts, repatriation of overseas cash, and the Fed's actions to raise the Fed funds rate three times while simultaneously and gradually unwinding the bloated balance sheet will present us a different investing environment for 2018. So, Jim, how do you view the macro environment for investors in U.S. equity markets in 2018? Well, let me tell you what excites me, Dave, and thank you always for this whole year for your kind comments. I think we're going to turn out to be selling at 16 times earnings. I think we're going to find out that the market turned out to be cheap. I think that interest rates are not going to go that high because there is just not enough demand for money yet, and there's plenty of money sloshing around. So I think that what we're going to see is what we thought was an expensive market turn out to be a cheap one. Mark in Michigan. Mark. Booyah, Jim Kramer. This Booyah, is Mark, Mark from Michigan. All right. First, I want to thank you and your staff for taking my call and for all the good work you and your staff do for us small gamers. This show is very educational and insightful. Hi, quite welcome. On April 10th of this year, I converted my 401k into cash. The bulk of it was invested in an S&P 500 index fund. I converted to cash for two reasons. First, since the November 8th presidential election, the S&P 500 had an increase of 10%, and I did not want to be greedy. I thought to mm-hmm. myself, get while the getting is good. Mm-hmm. Second, I was concerned about the geopolitical tensions between the U.S. and North Korea. I became so concerned that I decided to go completely into cash, although you recommended differently on your show. I still yeah. decided to do it. I couldn't pass the sleep test, quite frankly. Since April the 10th, the S&P has increased another 14%. My question to you is, when and how do you think I should start reinvesting my cash back into the S&P 500? And also, in my trading account, I have a substantial position in Sirius Satellite. Should I continue to hold? Thanks uh, again for all your good work. Sir. Absolutely. Thank you. I, I happen to like Sirius Satellite very much. I also like Discover. Discovery. You know, the, uh, the, other, the, the one that's run by Zaslav, which is really good that John Malone's been buying. All right. You got to buy some. You got to buy some next week. All right. Maybe you buy. Let's say you want to get 15 percent back every day. Buy some. All right. Then wait. Let it come down. If it doesn't come down, you're going to have to go back and buy again. Don't buy in the first week unless it's down a lot. This is really important. You cannot, cannot, cannot wait for a big decline. 
to start investing. You got to start now because you got way too little stock exposure and you're not going to make enough money in cash. Once you get up to about 30, 40 percent, then then you can wait for a pullback. Yeah, it's that good a market. And I want to have cash in the sideline, but not that much. You know what? Let's go to Janet in Wyoming. Janet. Hi. A lot of retirees like me depend on dividends from real estate investment trusts to right. put food on the table. And a lot of those REITs have ex-dividend dates clustered in about a week on the 27th, 28th, and 29th. For the past two days, REIT prices have been dropping, which could be because of the uptick in bond prices. But do you see this dip as a viable dip? Um, so I can maybe have steak rather than chicken. All right, Jim. Um, you know, or it, is it truly a frightening beginning of like a thirty percent drop, like we had in two thousand thirteen when the Fed kicked off right. QE? I know you don't have a crystal ball, but what do you think? Uh, I think if you buy the highest quality REITs, you'll do fine. Uh, I think that remember interest rates are ticking up, so people in a knee-jerk way sell these. Uh, there is a uh, fundamental, uh, you know, some of these companies are worth a great deal. And when they throw away Federal Realty, when they throw away Don Woods Company, when they throw away Simon, when they throw away Ventos, you have to be there. So don't, don't, don't give up here. I also like entertainment properties, EPR, which, which by the way, pays on a monthly basis. All right, that's our last Fireside Chat of 2017. I want everyone to have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And there's much more Mad Money ahead, including my exclusive with paychecks. How is the company navigating the new tax code? I'm going to talk with the new CEO, with the CEO, not the new. It's Marty Musi, for heaven's sake. And a company that works with the likes of Ferrari, Airbus, Google, and Unilever. And you've never heard of it. I'll reveal the name just ahead. Plus, all your calls, rapid fire, tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. Stick with Kramer. How sweet it is. Now that the tax bill is law, Wall Street is jubilant. But after the big vote yesterday, something began to dawn on us. This thing goes into effect real soon. I mean, like 11 days. So if you're a business, you've got less than two weeks to adjust how you withhold your employees' taxes, which brings me to Paychex, the nation's second largest payroll processor focused on small and medium-sized business. Here's a stock that's been on fire in recent months. Is this pretty much uh, this is the environment for them? Paychecks benefits from the pickup in hiring. They also become more profitable when the Federal Reserve raises interest rates because in the, in the time between their clients hand over the payroll and they actually deposit that money in your account, these guys are collecting interest in that big pile of cash known as the float. And that's one of the main reasons why the stock has roared from $54 in August to 68 today. But, and this is a big but, one of those, uh, when Paychex reported this morning, the company delivered inline earnings with modestly better than expected revenues. Stock got dinged down nearly 1% today, one point down a lot more. Why? I don't know. I think it just ran too much in the quarter. Although the scramble to adjust to the new tax regime ASAP, I don't know. Maybe that was a part of it. We've got to find out. So that's why it's a good thing. We've got Marty Musi, the president and CEO of Paychex, with us here tonight to talk about the impact of the tax bill and his latest quarter. Mr. Musi, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Great to be here with you. All right, Marty, I don't envy you. You got 11 days to figure out what checks should look like. What do you tell your clients? I mean, no one's even been able to go through this thing yet. 
No, well, we work closely. Our compliance team has been around for a, a long time, lots of experience there. They're going to work closely with the IRS and Treasury Department to identify all of the changes, and then we'll be ready to put them in as soon as they identify what they need. We'll be ready to implement it. Well, what happens in that first paycheck? I mean, that one can't possibly be right, can it? Yeah, well, I don't think, no, I don't think January, you know, we're expecting right now, based on what the IRS and Treasury, it looks like for them, is that probably this will happen in February checks okay. because it's going to take them a few weeks to identify everything. Once they tell us, our systems are ready to go. But uh, I think it'll take a few weeks, three or four weeks to get it ironed out. Okay, well, something took me by surprise in your comp school, Marty. You said that small and medium-sized business job growth has moderated while wages have been gradually rising. I would have thought it would be the opposite. Uh, what is, is, is there some sort of weird disconnect? I mean, we all think that there's hiring going on all over the place. Well, there is. I think what we saw was a fast uptick after the election last year in our small business job growth uh, numbers. And then it, it's moderated over the last uh, few months, particularly as we saw, you know, as we get closer to full employment. But wages that's held kind of in that 2% range are definitely just under 3% increase now. That's good news. But I think also as you get to close to full employment, you're having more scarcity of resource and therefore going to have to raise the wages a little bit more. And then now with tax reform, you know, we may see more wages go up because there's more ability to hire and, uh, and pay a little bit more. But you still kept guidance pretty conservatively, Marty. I know it's almost impossible to predict. I was on the FedEx call. For, uh, Fred Smith, the founder, is an economist. He didn't know how to predict it. But if you just had to try to read through things, I mean, all the money coming back, all the money that's going to companies, I mean, you have to believe that things are going to be better than it would have been before the bill. I, I, do, I do think it will be. And we had a solid quarter, you know, for our second quarter, up 7% in top-line revenue and 7% in operating income and net income. So we feel good about the quarter. You know, it's just it's a little this is our big selling season. We have a, a lot of sales coming in in January. So we like to get through this third quarter to see where we are. But we certainly feel good about it. And the Fed rate, of course, being up about every quarter percent worth about four million dollars a year on an annual basis to us. To do absolutely flow. nothing. Right. You just don't really have to do a thing. The Fed takes <laughs> care of it. Well, yeah, well, we do protect it, make sure it all gets paid on the right time. But you're right. You're right. OK, uh, human resources, 15 uh, percent revenue gains. Can you tell people who don't know what exactly they get from you when you when you give them human, when they give you human resources? Well, sure. And that category includes all kinds of uh, our services outside of payroll. But the fastest growing service is our HR outsourcing, meaning that if you're a small business with 15 or 20 employees and you need HR support. We have an HR professional, a live person, over 500 of them across the country that will support you as a small business. You don't have to hire an HR person. We'll provide you the support on how to hire someone, fire someone if you need it, how to set up a handbook and work you through all your policies and so forth. So it really has been a great benefit, and it's a fast-growing service given the changes that are going on. Well, I wanted to ask you, since we've had all these people uh, talk about you know, abuse at the workplace, sexual abuse at the workplace. Did you bring your people in and say, look, we've really got to focus on this. We got to give people briefs. We got to tell you that this thing is out there. Or is it, I mean, do people know how to handle it? Because it seems to be happening. There's five of them that I'm today. Yeah, they, well, they do. They're, they're, these are well-trained human resource professionals uh, across the country. As I said, we have about 500 of them across the country that support clients and, uh, and they're well-trained and well-experienced. The, the average one has about seven years of experience, 
and uh, and they're out helping our clients prepare for that and b make sure that they're doing the right thing and handling any of those kind of investigations. Uh, let me ask one more question. I, I hear you're talking about full sure. employment. You're talking about scarcity of workers. Yeah. I mean, is there any chance that we could actually have inflation or is there still a supply out there because it's only about 62 to 63 percent? Because, I mean, we just made this big tax law that is meant to put people to work, but there aren't a lot of people left. <laughs> Well, that's true. But, you know, maybe there'll be an expansion even more of, a, of the workforce. So I think, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see that, Jim. It's a great point uh, if we're close to full employment. But, you know, maybe those people who are sitting on the sidelines will get back into the workforce as more businesses start up. I think this is going to help generate new business formation and additional jobs. And, and I think people will come off the fence and, and jump into the workforce with this. Well, I sure hope they do. And I think people are getting a rare break as they have periodically to buy your stock because it's a terrific one. It also, has, by the way, benefits itself from the lower tax rate because you are a high taxpayer. That's Marty Musi, president and CEO of Paychex, P-A-Y-X. We've made a lot of money for people with this. Stick with it. Don't own it. Maybe buy some. They have money's back here to the break. It is time! It's time for the Lightroom! Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Lightroom. And then the lighting round's over. Are you ready, Skate Daddy? It's time for the Lightroom. Good morning, everybody. Let's start with Mark in Wisconsin. Mark! Jim, I was wondering what your thoughts were on Corset Therapeutics, ticker C-O-R-T. Yeah, you know, um... Look, these are always, this is a, a very tough area. It's psychiatric disorders. Most companies do fail. But if you get it, you got a huge win. So it's a nice spec. Let's go to Robert in Connecticut. Robert. How you doing, Jim? Booyah from Cold, Connecticut. Perfect. Hey, I'm looking at um, a stock I own, sticker symbol IPG, Interpublic Corp. Uh, I Interpublic, know I really like it. the advertisers. Why? Because of Alphabet, which I think is destroyed. And now Alphabet's going to go down here. Ah. Even though it's talking about my travel trust, i got to be honest. Why? Because it doesn't fit the profile. But once it comes in, it's a buy. Let's go to Charles in California. Charles! Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Hey, I got uh, T-E-L-L. Tellurian! Okay, that is... Sharif Suki, who apparently has met with the Saudis to talk about maybe they should be investors. I don't bet against Suki. And I want him back on the show. Let's go to Janet in South Carolina. Janet. Hi, Kramer. The recent IPO switch has an impressive client list, and I'd like to get your opinion on this stock. It does have an impressive client list. That's actually a really good way to look at it. It's come down, and I like the data center group very much. I'm partial more to Cyrus One. Uh, I think that they're really good, uh, Corsite, but this is okay. Let's go to Trevor in Washington. Trevor. Booyah, Kramer. Booyah. Uh, what are your thoughts on pure storage, buy or sell? It's good, but I like Nutanix more. And by the way, just in that terms of that general rubric, obviously VMware's my fave. Let's go to Jake in Pennsylvania. Jake. Hey, what's up, Jim? Absolutely love your show. Thank and you. And big fat booyah from Downingtown, Pennsylvania. Oh, man, I love Downingtown. How can I help? All right. So, look, Jim, I am a new investor in the market, and I was wondering, what do you think of the company Aris International? They are radically inconsistent, and I don't want you to go there. As a new investor, you might get turned off the stocks. No how, no way. Patrick in California. Patrick. Booyah. Booyah. My call is about Newstar. 
NS at the price and dividend that it pays? No, Do you it think doesn't it's work. No, I don't want. Doesn't work on Newstar, and I think that that kind of thing about you don't really know what they own. It's not for me. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Last month, we got some disappointing guidance from Autodesk, the dominant provider of computer-aided design software. Stock imploded. Self quickly spread into everything even tangentially related to these guys, part because many of these tech stocks had run so much, and few of them are going to be huge winners from the changes in the tax code. But could this weakness be giving you a rare buying opportunity in some high-quality stocks? Take Ansys, that's A-N-S-S for you home gamers. It's a leading maker of simulation software. Basically, they help engineers test out all sorts of product designs on their computers, which is a lot cheaper than testing out a series of real-world prototypes. The idea is pretty straightforward. For everything from the largest airplanes to the smallest semiconductors, nearly everything in between, companies use Ansys' platform to see how their new products will actually behave. This ends up saving businesses a lot of time and money. For example, when Ferrari wants to test the aerodynamics of a new race car, using the software is about 100 times faster and more efficient than building a model and putting through real-world wind tunnels the old way they used to do it. And business has been good. Company reported a nice top and bottom line beat at the beginning of November with robust guidance for both the next quarter and the full year. But on the other hand, the stock is down eight bucks from its highs. It's still up nearly 60 percent for 2017, though. It's up a quick eight percent since we highlighted it off the chart segment about seven weeks ago. So can it keep climbing? Let's check in with Ajay Gopal. He's the president and CEO of Ansys. Learn more about the simulation business and his company's prospects. Mr. Gopal, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Hey, Jim. All right, have a seat. Now, you've got one exciting company, and I hope I described it right. But, oh, absolutely. Um, because si- this is something that the concept of simulation software is actually something you guys pretty much pioneered, and the real precision, precision companies need you or else it costs too much money these days, right? Absolutely, Jim. We're the world's leader in engineering simulation software, as you said. Now, some of your audience may not necessarily be familiar with the technology. Yeah, I think you got to go through that. Right, but we affect their lives every single day to the products that they use, from embedded soft, from, from mobile devices to home appliances to airplanes to cars. These products and thousands of products like these are built with Ansys technology. Well, I saw that uh, you, um, Dyson, uh, Dyson products use you. Now, I understand Ferrari. They're trying to go as fast as possible. Why does Dyson need you? Well, Dyson, Dyson is an iconic brand, and they build these really innovative home appliances, uh, all the way from, from, from vacuum cleaners to, to, to bladeless fans. Uh, and they take advantage of Ansys technology throughout their, throughout their portfolio, to, for example, to optimize fluid flow, to optimize the performance of their products, to make them what they are. One of our favorite companies is Cummins. In one of the most recent conference calls, you, uh, you talked about how Cummins is a customer. Now, Cummins, they need to have their engines aerodynamically perfect. So they go to you. What were they doing before? So, so Cummins, is, of course, has been a market leader in engines for almost a century. They're the best. Absolutely. Uh, they've been an Ansys customer for about 30 years now. Mm-hmm. We have a deep and long-term relationship with them. They recently introduced a methodology that they call analysis-led design, uh, and that's embracing engineering simulation, the stuff that we do, and bringing that early into the design cycle. And as a result of that, they are taking advantage of essentially the full suite of Ansys technologies. Okay. So the result for Cummins, frankly, is innovation in the form of great engine technology to market faster and at lower costs. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that when they brought you in. In your documents, you guys talk about how it used to be in the validation phase. Now it's the 
ideate phase. So literally when they're thinking about it, they bring you in. Is that what happens? Correct. So our strategy is something that we call pervasive simulation. It's about taking simulation from where it's historically been in the design and the engineering of products and broadening the market opportunity, moving it earlier in the design cycle to the phase of ideation, and then moving it downstream into manufacturing, things like additive manufacturing, 3D printing, moving it into preventative maintenance, moving actually into the product itself. So as we think about broadening a market opportunity, that's what we use, that's what we call pervasive simulation. Uh, and, and ideation and moving upstream is part of that strategy. Right. Now, you mentioned 3D printing. I, I was with someone the other day who's using extensive 3D printing, mm -hmm. uh, and it, it's, it is saving them an incredible amount of money. But I can't imagine, how do you get in early on 3D printing? I mean, these are what the, the actual mold is something that they run by you first? So when you think about 3D printing, it's, it's a new manufacturing process. But it's real. It's, it's absolutely real. It's a multi-billion dollar opportunity. Mm -hmm. Now, when you think about 3D printing, the process of printing itself causes the materials to warp or change during manufacturing. Well, using our simulation, we can, we can evaluate and visualize that, and we can take that into account as the part is being printed. So using ANSYS technology, you can get a more accurate, more effective 3D printed outcome than you can without our solution. Okay. Now, uh, the company, uh, there are some analyst projections which say that you guys have to spend a little more in order to be able to grow. Then other analysts say, well, listen, they're growing terrifically and they're not spending much more. Could you solve that conundrum for me? Well, I can't really talk about what the analysts are saying. Okay. What I can certainly tell you is if you look back at the performance of the stock, we were in, I don't know, the, the low 90 bucks at the start of the year. Right. Uh, and today we're in the, in the high 140s. I think the stock's done really well. Right, pretty much uh, and I think that's a reflection, really, of the, of the strength and the capabilities right. of the company. Now, when I, read, when I watched the Ferrari video, uh, it was great because you also had a translation of the Italian, but it was very clear that these guys directly attribute some of their winning race cars to you. Absolutely. When you're in the business that they're in, which is performance, right. where, where performance really matters, Every millisecond makes a difference. And that millisecond makes a difference between winning and just being an also-ran. And with ANSYS technology, they can win. Well, uh, where are you involved? When do they bring you in? So we're involved in being able to take, for example, the car and to put it inside a digital wind tunnel. This is a, a wind tunnel that's that on so the computer. Cool. It's right. completely on the computer. And it's built using ANSYS technology. And, and in that digital wind tunnel, they can go through all of these what-if scenarios. What happens if I change the design right. of the car? How do I become more aerodynamic? How can I shave those few milliseconds right. of performance off? How can I improve the outcome? All right. Well, anybody who's interested, you've got to go see that video because the Ferrari guys make the best car in the world. And a lot of it's because of what these guys do. This is A.J. Gopal. He's the president and CEO of ANSYS. We like the technically pretty interesting story fundamentally, too. Everybody's back after the break. Thank you. A lot of people have been asking me, Jim, if it doesn't fit the profile, should I sell it? I am not advising you to sell the stock of an Amazon, okay? Why? Because I think that stock is going to come back and you'll end up saying, oh my God, what did Kramer do? He got me out, so I missed a 20-point decline. And then the next thing I know, I missed the 100-point up. So I'm not telling you to sell Amazon. I like to say there's always more working somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I'll see you tomorrow. 
CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.